drops the ball. Pigs have flown. Hell is frozen over. The Saints are on their way to the Super Bowl. What is good, Houdat Nation and Houdat family, and welcome into this Thursday edition here at Locked On Saints, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Sean Payton joined New Orleans media yesterday to talk about camp, COVID, and a little competition. As the Saints continue through their acclimation period with no positive COVID tests and only a pair of opt-outs so far, Coach Payton highlights realistic expectations and how the team so far has gone above and beyond with their protocols. Then we'll hear from a pair of Saints linebackers. First, Craig Robertson speaks on the young rookies Zach Bond and Joe Bocci explaining how much they've impressed them. And then Demario Davis also shares a very interesting element of his game, describing his mentality as a blitzer. And finally, the Saints official Twitter account had some fun, so we will too. How a Taysom Hill hater was shown the door by Saints social media and why he was dead wrong in his so-called evaluation. We got all of that and a little bit of lanyard for you on today's episode of Locked on Saints, your team every day. And as always, you've got Ross Jackson here at Ross Jackson Nola on Twitter. Go ahead and throw me a follow. I'm the editor over at Canal Street Chronicles and very glad to be here with you every single Monday through Friday. The NFL set up COVID-19 protocols for all 32 clubs, but some teams are taking it a step further and stepping up their game. New Orleans Saints head coach Sean Payton discussed with New Orleans media the reality that the league faces here in the 2020 season and what his organization is doing to best prepare for football. That's our New Orleans Saints lead story of the day today with Ross Jackson of Locked on Saints. I always appreciate when we hear from leaders within these professional sports organizations and even to an extent the amateur sports organizations as well, the individual conferences of the NCAA, for instance, where there's a conversation that is grounded in reality, realistic expectations. I'm really just appreciative of that when we hear it, because I think that it gives you a more accurate understanding and representation of the fact that everyone is still learning when it comes to the idea of getting sports back on their feet. And in this particular instance, Coach Payton, as he was visiting with New Orleans media, spoke a little bit about the reality of the situation in terms of what teams will face going into 2020, how quickly the league can be affected by the COVID-19 virus, and what the Saints themselves and their organization are doing to try to make things as safe as possible, particularly during the training camp period, and hopefully with enough time to continue to learn more and gather more information so that they can continue to go above and beyond with their safety protocols. The Saints, of course, as we've discussed here on the show before, rented out the Lowe's Hotel, essentially bought it out. It's for the players, it's for the staffers, it's for the coaches, it's for essential workers that are a part of the organization, and that's it. It is not a required stay, but it's a sequester option and an alternative option for players, staffers, coaches, so on and so forth that want to stay in a place to where the only places that they essentially go are the hotel and to the training facility for training camp and just isolating and essentially eliminating all of the additional variables that come with several different people. Coach Payton estimates up to 170, 180 different people all going and taking their own sort of way home at night and then coming back the next day with, as he said, 170 different stories. So listen to him here as he shares a pretty deliberate explanation of what he expects will happen in the league, how quickly things can turn around, and why it's important for the Saints to continue to go above and beyond the league safety protocols to keep their players safe. Clearly, we've got a grasp now of eight days or nine days in, right? You guys would agree. We've seen the first nine days. Well, the next nine days are probably going to be similar to the past nine. And the next nine, you know, in other words, you guys don't see it. And so I don't know what the total headcount is, but but that's kind of 
I think going to be what we, what we can expect throughout the year. And then there's a little bit of luck involved there. And, and you know, we've seen a couple head coaches or a head coach and um, and various players. And so, you know, how do we how do we reduce our chances of, of being one of those people? But Mickey and I have been talking about it and 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 really looking at ways to to be a little bit better uh, than than just the norm. Because I, I think if we just go along with the standard here it is, then you're, you're going to have what you've had the last few weeks. And then there's a randomness to just because you're clean as a team heading into your second week, shoot, 11 guys can be the next week or the next week. And, and I, I just, there's too much at stake, especially for the players. Now, this isn't new for Coach Payton, this type of honesty and this type of attention to detail when it comes to this virus and when it comes to this pandemic and how to operate within it, particularly in the idea of restarting and getting uh, getting ready for an NFL season. Now, that last phrase, that last little bit about how you know there's a lot on the line, especially for the players, that's exactly who Coach Payton is. He has been about the players with this from the jump, from the very beginning, canceling everything off-season related, off-season activities, uh, mini camps, everything before the NFL ever did, and basically telling the players, I'll see you when training camp gets started, be back in the best shape of your life. And essentially just allowing folks to be at home with their families. And that was one of the things that he talked about early on when he said that he wasn't going to do any off-season activities with his team was the idea that he didn't want to take he didn't want to take people away from their families at a time when there are so many questions to ask and not any answers really coming in at that time. And even now, there's still some questions without answers, but you see Coach Payton, Mickey Loomis, and this organization continuing to make the right decisions in this situation. There's no mystery to why this team and this organization trusts Coach Payton the way that they do, and he continues to make good on it every opportunity opportunity that he gets. One of the other things that he said when he sort of elaborated on how the sequester itself might work, he was asked if it's something that he can see the team using beyond just training camp. He mentioned that it's specifically for training camp at this moment. And ideally in the next just over a month before they get to week one, they'll learn enough information so that they can implement even more detailed and even more above and beyond protocols, whether it be continuing the sequester, I think might be a possibility. He didn't say that specifically, but you have to imagine that there could potentially be a possibility or at least continuing to have it available or finding other ways to create more safety measures for this team. Coach Payton's always been a player's coach. He's always been a player's coach, but right now he's showing you that he's not just a player's coach, he's a people's coach. And he's doing this and he's going about it the right way, as is the rest of the New Orleans Saints organization. So while it looks like the Saints are clearly making the right decisions off the field, still have to ask the question about whether or not they're making the right decisions on the field. And we get a little bit of clarity about that from linebacker Craig Robertson, who talked about the Saints draft pick and undrafted signing as well in both linebackers Zach Bond and Joe Bocci. They've impressed him so far. We'll hear from him how, and then we'll also hear from probably one of the biggest right decisions that the Saints made in the signing of Demario Davis as he gives a fantastic explanation of how he looks at his pass rushing ability in the NFL. We got those coming up for you next here on Locked on Saints, your team every day. And just like we always ask you to support local media, I'm going to ask you to support local businesses and specifically local restaurants. And there's a very easy way to do that, and it comes with DoorDash. Today's episode is brought to you by DoorDash. You've counted on those restaurants. Now those restaurants are counting on you. And while the dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food that you're craving right now, right to your door and ordering is easy. Just open up the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, 
and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery. Just open up the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and have your food brought to you and left at your door. Once again, DoorDash deliveries are now contactless to help keep the communities that they operate in safe. You can check them out right now. Our listeners will get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code Locked On. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code Locked On. Don't forget, that's code Locked On for $5 off of your first order with DoorDash. All right, Huda Nation, don't forget, we're going to wrap up today's show today with a little bit of fun. The Saints Twitter account absolutely owning some clown that came in trying to talk bad about Taysom Hill and his deal. I'll tell you why the comments from the original poster were just ridiculous and what the Saints Twitter did to uh, serve them a little bit of sauce out there in the Twitter world. But before we get to that, let's continue to focus a little bit about what's going on on the field for the Saints. Craig Robertson met with New Orleans media via teleconference, and he was asked a little bit about some of the young guys in the locker room, specifically Zach Bond. And uh, Craig Robertson went on to have some nice things to say about him, but unsolicited also went and mentioned uh, another rookie that's in that room as well, the undrafted free agent out of Michigan State, Joe Bocci. Here's what Craig Robertson had to say about the two young guys, and then we'll talk a little bit more in depth about them as well. You know, he's a real knowledgeable kid, you know, and our coach does a good job of asking everybody questions. So he's not just, you know, steering questions towards certain people. Um, he'll go down the list and, you know, everybody's answering the question. And I mean, Zach and Joe as well, our other rookie, has been doing a great job, you know, answering questions. Uh, we have a lot of information uh, in our playbook. So the faster that you can capture our playbook, the better off you'll be. And they're, they're doing a good job already just starting off. So you'll remember several conversations that we've had here on the show, as well as several times we've heard Coach Payton and the coordinators as well talk a little bit about FBI, right? Football intelligence. What is it that the Saints really look for in this draft? When you talk about Cesar Ruiz, talk about Zach Bond, uh, Adam Troutman, you can throw Tommy Stevens in there as well. All very cerebral guys, all guys that can come in and learn the playbook that they needed to uh, adapt quickly. So that's exactly what it is that you want to see. And a little bit about what you're hearing when it comes to Zach Bond as well as, uh, as, well as Joe Bocci. Joe Bocci is you know the undrafted free agent coming out of Michigan State. He's a guy that everybody expected to be drafted. He's probably going to be a day three guy, round four, round five, but still ended up falling out because of some uh, PED. He ended up getting suspended for the last portion of the season. He was very near going to 100 total tackles for three seasons in a row. Zach Bond was more so of a pass rusher at Wisconsin, 12 and a half sacks, 19 and a half tackles for a loss. They're going to potentially shift him over to off-ball linebacker, although there's not as much of a rush to do that with this truncated offseason now with the signing of Nigel Bradham. Maybe you just let him have a little bit more of a situational run, you know, pass rush focus and run defense focus. And in that way, you could sort of take your time in terms of getting him trained up into a position that he hasn't played before. You look back at some of the linebackers that have failed in this system, and a lot of it comes down to intelligence. Look at Stephon Anthony. Stephon Anthony came in in his first year, blew up in terms of the amount of tackles that he had, over 100 tackles in his rookie season, but fell off because he couldn't grasp the playbook. And the Saints did not want to make that mistake again. It's one of the reasons why they like Zach Bond so much, because they felt like they could avoid that part. You listen to his coaches, Bobby April, who, of course, has a longstanding tradition, in Louisiana, and as does his family, um, you look at 
what he has done as the outside linebackers coach with Zach Bond at Wisconsin and what he has to say about Zach and everything comes down to his intelligence. So this feels a little bit like, you know, there's a couple of things that we hear like this, right? Every time that somebody asks about Jameis Winston, you get compliments about his intelligence, you get compliments about his mind in the game. Cesar Ruiz, the same thing. It's it's a trend, right? And, and it's an intentional trend amongst the uh, the players that the Saints have in their locker room. Now, we heard from one veteran linebacker on that second level talking about the rookies. Now we're going to jump to another veteran linebacker in Demario Davis. He didn't really speak much on the rookies, but he talked a little bit about the way that he intellectualizes and visualizes his role as a pass rusher. You want to talk about football intelligence? Here's all you need to know about Demario Davis's football intelligence. Yeah, it's so much it's so much more mental than it is physical, and that's what I think people don't understand like yeah, you can be fast and strong um, and even have good hands. And you need to train those things too. But so much of it is just about getting to certain spots before guys are anticipating you being at that spot. And so understanding the angles and the amount of steps and the alignment that you have to be in, uh, it's kind of it's very similar to a basketball player. A basketball player ain't just shooting shots. They're getting to spots on the court to shoot. And so – pre-snap if I can get to a certain spot, it puts me in a better position to get to a, a certain spot post-snap. I need to understand like the straight lines that, that come into place in getting there. And that's that's what it allowed me to be uh, allowed me to be successful. And it takes it takes it takes a lot of time and a lot of study. So here we have Craig Robertson complimenting these young guys for their intelligence. And then you have a teacher, a mentor, a guy like Demario Davis, who has quickly become one of the more elite linebackers in the NFL, talking about his own intelligence and sharing the way that he sees the game and comparing it to another game, right? And, 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 and I love that because it creates an accessibility for the thought process of like, I'm worried about getting to a spot just like a shooter in basketball is, or just like a cutter in basketball is. If you play basketball, you understand. And I, the idea of doing that and utilizing that as a means of illustrating what it is that you're looking for on the football field is just fantastic usage of, of information. And like he said at the end, it takes a lot of study. And it does. It takes a lot of study. I mean, I can explain it a little bit, but I would be a lot better maybe if I had like Jake, for instance, from Locked on Pelicans to talk to a little bit more in depth about it, which I do, and maybe I'll do that. But there's... There's something really special about this. And you think about Demario Davis, who, look, he had four sacks last season, which was up there in terms of the Saints numbers, considering it was Cam Jordan at 15 and a half. Then you had a couple guys around the six area, and then you had Demario Davis at four. But you look at what Demario Davis has in terms of that information, the way that he utilizes it. What about a guy like Zach Bond, who has a pass rushing capability that's going to be asked to play off ball linebacker at some point in the near future, whether it develop over the course of the season? whether it start that way at the beginning of the season or whether it takes until next season, but gets to work with Demario Davis on translating everything that he just shared in that teleconference onto the field and as a part of his play. Zach Bond's already a very talented pass rusher, but if those physical traits that Demario Davis added on at the very beginning are lacking in any way, right? He talked about size, speed, and hands. Maybe he's got speed and hands, but we know he lacks size. Now maybe having this extra sort of cerebral overly, not even overly analytical, but very analytical look at the way to process the football field and then therefore get to the quarterback sooner, you'll get some of those sacks out of Zach Bond that you might not see otherwise because you would have lost them based on his size. You'll see some of those tackles in the backfield from both Demario Davis and Zach Bond and all these other guys too that have the opportunity to benefit working with 
Demario Davis, these veteran linebackers that are incredibly smart, like Davis, like Robertson, right? So I'm excited about this. And this gets me really excited about this second level for the Saints. Regardless of the youth along the second level, they have some extraordinary talent above them in terms of the veterans that are there setting an example and teaching them on a daily basis. And I think you're going to see that pay off pretty quickly. All right, family, wrapping up today's episode with some fun. So as I mentioned, uh, the Saints on social media, which has been fantastic, by the way, both the Saints and the Pelicans social media, JD, all those guys are doing a fantastic job uh, as of late in particular. And they've, they, you know, they've always done a fantastic job. But today, uh, or rather yesterday, the Saints posted a photo of Taysom Hill that was captioned, often imitated, never replicated, and then had the knife for Swiss Army knife, little knife emoji there. And someone retweeted, I'm not going to give any shine to who it is or anything like that, but somebody retweeted or quote tweeted this. And I think this person's probably a Vikings fan or something like that. I'm not really sure. But uh, quote tweeted and said, $60 million guaranteed to a guy who threw for 119 yards last season. You're right. That will never be replicated. And then the Saints Twitter account came back with a video of Charlemagne and and, uh, Donnell Rawlings laughing hysterically, which I think many of us were when we see this tweet. Uh, with the caption, when all you think Taysom did last season was throw for 119 yards. And I I love this because, first of all, we know that the Saints social media is fun. The Pelican social media is fun. It's a very fun environment for sports here in New Orleans. But this is particularly hysterical because of all of the things to point out that Taysom Hill did, usually people don't acknowledge him as a quarterback, right? I I am on the top of the list of media folks that come out every chance that I get to say, hey, I don't believe it Taysom Hill is a quarterback yet. I'll also say yet every time that I talk about it, right? But when you talk about Taysom Hill, usually the last thing you talk about is how many yards he threw for, which by the way, he did not throw for 119 yards last season. He has thrown for 119 yards in his entire whole career, 64, his 2018 season, 55 last season. Now that doesn't really speak in favor of Taysom Hill, but it goes to show how quickly somebody will Google something just to throw it up on social media. So I always love when, you know, these these accounts that I think many of us would see as untouchable accounts, right? These big official accounts for these, you know, for, for these uh, sports teams and everything that come with a little clapback and have a little bit of that action. And I'm all about that. I like the idea of not putting somebody on notice, but putting them on blast when they mess up like that. I'm all about it. So but what I really wanted to do with this segment, though, is use that as an introduction to the conversation about why Taysom Hill is making $16 million guaranteed. And it doesn't have anything to do with how many yards he's thrown for in his career, nor does it have to do specifically with all of the other things that he's done. It's a combination of a couple of things. So one of the things that I got interested in, you look at Taysom Hill's stat line last year, and if you haven't done this before, do yourself a favor, go to Pro Football Reference, pro-football-reference.com. And just type in Taysom Hill's name. The first stat block that pops up for your quarterback, for your third string quarterback, second string quarterback, however it is that you view them, is rushing and receiving. (laughs) It's not passing. It's nothing like that. It's rushing and receiving. I think that's hysterical. But when you look at his stat line, three passes completed last year off of six attempts, 55 yards, no touchdowns, not fantastic. But let's keep that 55 yard passing stat in mind had uh, 27 rushes for 156 yards and a touchdown, and then also caught 19 passes for six touchdowns and 234 yards. That got me to thinking, when was the last time that somebody threw for more than 50 yards in the same season where they ran for more than 100 yards and the same season where they caught uh, or, or had over 
200 receiving yards. And Taysom Hill did it in 2019. If you knock it down to equal to 50 yards, you can find um, uh, uh, Christian McCaffrey there as well. He had that 50-yard pass in 2018 against the Saints. That would put him in there. But I did more than 50 yards, so he's not in there. So the last player to do that was Cordell Stewart 23 years ago in the year of our Lord, 1996. That is the last time that somebody has thrown for over 50 yards, caught for over 200, and ran for over 100 in a season. Then you look at him having six receiving touchdowns. Keep in mind, this is your quarterback. He's got six receiving touchdowns. This guy had the same amount of receiving touchdowns as, yes, you guessed it, Julio Jones. He had the same amount of receiving touchdowns as uh, 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 a Michael Gallup, a uh, Cortland Sutton, a Stefan Diggs. He had more receiving touchdowns than one of the other highest paid wide receivers in the NFL and Odell Beckham Jr. More receiving touchdowns than even Emmanuel Sanders, who the Saints signed. More than Devontae Adams, more than first team all pro tight end George Kittle, more than Pro Bowl tight end and probably future Hall of Famer Travis Kelsey. This guy has done so much more than just the 119 yards that he's thrown for over the past two seasons and the 55 yards that he threw for last season. You have to look at the full expanse of his work, and I'm not even talking about a special teams work. He also blocked a kick and blocked a punt in 2019. Like the guy doesn't stop at just what he does on offense. And that's why he's getting paid $16 million guaranteed on top of potentially being your starting quarterback for next season. If you look at the way that Taysom Hill's contract breaks out for next season, if he ends up being your starting quarterback, if that ends up being the case, if he is the starting quarterback in 2021, then you have a starting quarterback on a 10.72 million dollar base salary and a total cap hit of 16.2 dollars, 16.2 million dollars. That's it. That's it. 16.2 million dollars is middle of the road for quarterbacks. We just watched somebody sign a 500 million dollar quarterback deal. 500 million dollars. We're talking about him potentially getting paid over 40 million dollars. In certain seasons, over $50 million in certain seasons. And certainly, I'm not saying that Patrick Mahomes doesn't deserve that. Certainly, he deserves that. But when you look at what the Saints are going to be walking out of with Drew Brees and then walking into, if Taysom Hill ends up being the guy, $16.2 million is a fantastic place to be, especially in a season where the salary cap is going to go down for the first time in I don't know how many years, right? We don't see that happen very often. We usually see the salary cap go up every year. It's why it doesn't actually exist. It's more of a, a, a roadblock, a speed bump than anything else, right? But that's why Taysom Hill's getting paid $16 million. And why I don't mind him getting paid $16 million. Is it a little steep? Sure. But who cares? The guy, look at everything that we just talked about that he does for this team. Takes those snaps. He you know, gets those touches. He's your tight end. He's your wide receiver. He's your lead blocker. You know, you look at that game against uh, the, the Minnesota Vikings, the wildcard game, where Taysom Hill was probably your best player, right? He completes, you know, first of all, he runs, he gets a big, big gain on a run on his own. He completes a 50-yard pass down the field to, uh, Devonta, to Deontay Harris, excuse me. And then he's the lead blocker for Alvin Kamara's touchdown to get on the board to finish off that drive and to cap it off in the end zone. That's why you pay Taysom Hill $16 million guaranteed, and that's why he's making you know, $16.2 million next year as your potential starting quarterback. And that's okay. That's okay. Because here in 2020, everything that he's doing, everything that he's bringing in, he's getting paid $4.8 million. And that's a bargain. <laughs> that's an absolute bargain. So 
again, I'll say as I usually do, I, I, I'm, I need to see more from Taysom Hill as a quarterback before I'm willing to just say, hey, yeah, he's your guy for the future. But I'm not going to criticize his contract because I understand why he got paid for what he got paid and what he did to deserve it, which is beyond this sort of boiled down, boilerplate, very fundamental look at what Taysom Hill does in terms of looking at his passing stats. Whenever you talk about Taysom Hill, you do not talk about his passing stats. That's not, that's not the first thing that should come to anyone's mind when you talk about Taysom Hill. It's literally everything else on the field. It's covering kicks. It's covering punts. It's blocking punts. It's returning kicks sometimes. It's catching passes. It's running, uh, running for touchdowns. It's lead blocking for touchdowns. It's blocking to protect the quarterback as an inline tight end. It's all of those other things. And then every now and then, it's that he might throw a pass. And that's it. That's it. That's what he does. And he runs over defenders too, which, uh, you know, $16.2 million and he runs over and embarrasses some linebackers and defensive backs. Money well spent in New Orleans. Money well spent. And in either way, money well spent when it comes to Taysom Hill. So I won't ever come through criticizing his contract, but I will come through and defend it at any point. So anyway, thought that was a fun sort of uh, entryway into that conversation. That's going to do it for today's episode. Make sure that y'all swing by tomorrow. We've got the uh, we've got Facebook Friday tomorrow. If you want to partake in that, just head over to facebook.com slash group slash locked on saints. Drop your questions in the thread and I'll get to your questions tomorrow. And then of course, we'll continue to keep you updated with everything that's going on. Today is the official deadline for the opt-out uh, for the 2020 season, 4 p.m. Eastern time. So if we have any big news or any big names that end up opting out, come back on Friday. We'll talk about that. If nobody else opts out, we'll talk about that too. I think either way, it's pretty newsworthy and has a lot to do with what our first segment was today. So we'll talk about that tomorrow as well as take all of your questions from the Locked on Saints Facebook group. I thank you so much, everybody, as always, for coming through. Once again, I'm Ross Jackson. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A. Hit me up. Let me know how the family's doing. Let me know how you're living. Let me know how you're mom and them. Tell your friends, family, and fellow Saints fans about the show. And if you haven't already, please take a moment to subscribe. Drop that five-star rating and review. I thank you so much for all your support. Never helped me grow this family. This has been Locked on Saints. And trust you, that nation. I'll holla at you.